Highway Harley-Davidson. There are no words. Your Inspiration Radio, Fuga Online. This week, Belinda Otas shares with us the continuation of her journey from being in organ failure as a young girl to being in dialysis to receiving a kidney and then another kidney and where she is now and what a difference that organ donation has made to her life. You're listening to Vuga Online. Join Discovery Bank to experience the most innovative digital banking products and features at your fingertips. Open your account in minutes and transact immediately with your free virtual card. Get more from your money, pay less interest on your credit and earn more on your savings. Enjoy smart ways to pay medical expenses and get flexible gym visits with Vitality Pay as You Gym through Discovery Pay. Track your spend with our smart budgeting tools for a real-time view of your finances. Get all this and more. The future of banking, now. Your inspiration radio, Vuga Online. to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. Another show, another week. I hope that you're doing really well. And certainly in the Southern Hemisphere, for me, it's starting to get chilly. It's starting to get cold. And if you're joining us from the Northern Hemisphere, maybe you're seeing a change in your temperatures and things are starting to warm up for you. As you know, the show is all about healthcare professionals. It's about how we have to interact with healthcare professionals, so about healthcare. And speaking about the things we don't speak about in healthcare, making sure that we do know about information that is going to give us better autonomy as a patient, but also to help everyone understand, even healthcare professionals, that they're actually people. They get tired, they get hungry, um, they get sad. And so it's just about seeing that we're all human and how we're going to do better, how we're going to do human better in healthcare. My guest after the break, I'm going to introduce you to her. She is a fascinating lady and I can't wait. She's agreed to come share her story with us all the way from the UK. But you'll see when I introduce that she is has got huge big ties to Africa, which of course is what we are fascinated with. But let's go to that break. SA's lowest cost bank account is here. No monthly fees, no debit orders and free money transfers. Now you can do even more from your phone for free. Like pay bills and buy airtime or data. And it works on any phone. Register via the ShopRite app or dial this number. Powered by ShopRite. You're listening to Google Online. Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. Today's guest is a fascinating lady. Her name is Belinda Otis. Did I pronounce that correctly, Belinda? Good enough, fair enough, Otis. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you when you learn those the pronunciation, and then by the time you come to go, and then you go, oh, which variety was it? Yes. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, Belinda, and for coming to tell us your story. Thanks for having me. This song is dedicated to Keith Weed, Chief Marketing Officer of Unilever. You can be the leader, Keith. We from Unilever. You can. 
can be the leader, Keith. We from Unilever. We've got something for you. It can only make you better. It's not complicado. It's called radio. You can be the leader, you're Keith from Unilever. We're not here to preach about this thing called reach. But when you need some traction, this is your call to action. You can be the leader, you're Keith from Unilever. This is our story. True toe in every household. Now we say it's in your Twitter. You like all things visual. This one. Freak your ears for the oral. Advertise with us. This request is formal. That's right. Keith Wee! Yo, listen up. Radio is the place to be. It's OMG to the FMC. Why don't you be the leader? Oh, Keith from Unilever. Why don't you be the leader? So this is our request, Keith. See radio differently at RadioCenter.org. Right here, right now, the best tunes of all times. Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. Today's guest is Belinda Otis. She's speaking to us about her journey um, with her kidneys, how start, what started off was typhoid, the misdiagnosis, the, the missteps along the way, how she went to the UK because her parents weren't happy with the treatment at the time, um, had her first kidney transplant, like, wow, it was like chalk and cheese. She felt so much better after that one. She had that for like 16 years, but along the way, she had a bit of a scare. For 15 years, she had a bit of a scare, and then the kidney function went down to 5%, and she thought, oh, dear, now what's going to happen? But her miracle workers at the hospital that she was at turned that around, and so she had quite a few more years. But then along the way, they said, no, let's do a preemptive, preemptive, let's preempt having to go back on dialysis. They put in the next kidney, and very blessed to have had another one. Unfortunately, this one didn't work as the same. She said before she would have been able to have lots of urine bags of urine. And now it was like a few days and not having. They tried to change it um, well, to go and re-implant the kidney. And that didn't work. So she ended up having a nephrectomy, which is removal of that kidney. And suddenly life has changed and she's back to dialysis where she was when she was 16, 17. Okay. And so that's where you are now. Yeah. So I have been back on dialysis now since 2018. So this year, January, that's five years now. So I've been on dialysis for a combined 11, 11 years. Cause the first time I was on dialysis, it was from the age of 16 to 22. And this time around, um, you know, Five years already so that's 11 years in total which is a lot of time a lot of hours and so at the moment I have dialysis three times a week it is very very demanding it is tiring and I'm learning that living on dialysis as a teenager is very different to living on dialysis as a woman in her 40s because you know um premenopause and all that the tiredness the the pain the joint the joint ache muscles everything um I know it's just the how mentally tasking it is, you know, and it eats up so much of your time. For me, dialysis is a thief of your time. That's that's the way I describe it. Because, for example, I Mondays are tend to be my most productive day, and I'm very selfish with them. <laughs> so the fact that I'm doing this interview is a good thing today. <laughs> oh, yay! <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know what? Your story is going to impact so many other lives and also <laughs> show people 
that if they say, if they sign up for organ donation, look at the life you could change. True, very true, very true. And so dialysis cycle for each week starts on Tuesdays. So tomorrow, once my dialysis cycle starts, my productivity level um, drops significantly because I'm so tired. Um, it takes time to recover. And this is so different to, to when I was... Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I mean, now I still, um, I work based on contracts, for example. So I, like when I have a contract, I work with that. I, I plan my work life around my dialysis life and not the other way around. I, I, everything I do is planned around dialysis, even when I have to go away for a weekend or if I need to do something on maybe on a, so my dialysis times are, I do the twilight sessions. So these are like the sessions that start at excuse me, they start at 6 p.m. and end at about 10 p.m. UK time. And so we call that the twilight session. So um, I tend to do work earlier in the day before I go for dialysis. And so overnight, I'm very tired. And then by the next day, maybe until about 12 p.m. in the afternoon, before I start to feel like myself again, um, those hours usually involve a lot of dragging myself to get anything done. But I say all of these to to talk about the impact and effect of of dialysis on on my body. It's very exhausting. I find it very tiring. And in in recent months, in fact, not in, in recent months, in the past year, every time I'm sitting um or on that dialysis bed, it feels like the walls of the hospital are caving in on me. So there's also the 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 mental health dimension and the fact that I have. Um, depressive episodes um, with living on dialysis and just the fact that the whole journey back to dialysis took a lot out of me nevertheless I'm grateful I'm grateful that I have access to treatment because I've had horror stories when people don't have access to treatment I have access to treatment three times a week I cannot take that for granted um it's not the best of situation but I think it helps to always find a silver lining, even in the worst of situations. And gratitude for me, gratitude is a very big part of my, of my existence, of my life, because, you know, sometimes I think about my journey to this place and, of, and, and yes, it hasn't been easy. Um, it has been costly in terms of time, um, in terms of money. It has, to a certain degree, it cost me my family because I was separated from my family for a very, very long time. Um, my mom is late now. Um, and sometimes I feel like the whole journey contributed to, you know, the fact that she's no longer here with us because it was very stressful. My my mom passed away from cancer and I feel like the build up of everything and all that stress over time must have contributed to her becoming on, unwell. And so sometimes there's, um, an element of feeling guilty because I feel like, there are days when I feel like I took so much from my family, like they had to give up so much for me to survive, you know, but nevertheless, I remain grateful because while my mom is no longer with us, I have my siblings, you know, they, they are, they are some of the best human, not they are some of the best, they are the best human beings <laughs> in my life, you know. And, you can tell them to listen to that segment. You have <laughs> described them as the best human beings. <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, for example, they take it in turns every summer to come and spend time with me in London. And, and I really, really um, appreciate that. So, so yeah, it, um, it's not easy. 
it's it's a lot to process it's a lot to to deal with especially this time around not having my mom with me um because the first time I was on dialysis my mom was alive she took care of everything she did everything now it's just me and I'm very grateful for my friends it's same but it's very different yeah it's very yeah. different you know, um, without my mom, uh, it's, it's, uh, it feels harder, but I'm very grateful for, for my siblings. And I'm also very grateful that while I have a small network of friends and members of my church, it's a small network, but they have been, um, in addition to my siblings, they have been my rock. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So there are days and, you know, moments when it can be very, very overwhelming. It, it can be a lot to deal with. And even though I'm back on, though I'm back on dialysis, it hasn't stopped me from dreaming. You know, that has never died. I've always had these big audacious dreams. And now dialysis just feels like the stumbling block along the way that there are days when it makes it impossible to do anything because I am exhausted beyond explanation or in ways I can begin to put into into words but on the days when I can drag myself and get things done I'm also very grateful for for those days so it's it's dialysis for me I I I have often described it as that lover that maybe you have children together but you can't stand them but because you have children together you have to accommodate them and and um, talk to them and you know try and make peace with them just to keep the peace going and I know it seems like a crazy analogy and so for me dialysis is that process which I resent living on dialysis nevertheless I'm grateful for access to my treatment because there are people who don't have access to treatment and these two things can be true at the same time you know I'm grateful that I'm alive I'm grateful that I have access to treatment um I don't like the 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 effect on my body and my life and how that then affects everything else around my life. But it is what it is. And it's about learning to make the best of, of the situation as it comes. Um, coming back on dialysis a second time really opened my eyes to, 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 the, to the challenges faced by the Black British community, which is made up of the African Caribbean and the African um, communities together. And the fact that, that, you know, there's still a huge gap in terms of our willingness to be organ donors and our willingness to even have the conversation. Because what I have noticed is that until it, it, it's at our doorstep, we don't talk about it, you know. And so that's where, for me, it became necessary to talk about my experience because I had this great 15 years that, um, you know, someone being willing someone's willingness to be an organ donor gave me and so it's necessary to talk about the benefits um and also address the elements of fear and discomfort so after the break we're going to do just that we're going to talk about the fact that somebody allowed their loved one to donate their kidney and that totally changed your life for so many years but let's go for the break Fiverr presents How to Entrepreneur. Got an idea? Isn't that cute? My little sister has ideas. You? You have a business to build. So, Anne, um, So get a logo. Make a website. Market it. Promote it. Promote the out of it. Cancel the brainstorm. 
the only one who can do this is you and your power to get it done. So I can do it. Pitch it to your mom. Pitch it to your ex. Pitch it to your roommate. Pitch it to anyone who will listen. But definitely don't pitch it to these guys. Woo the customer. Schmooze the customer. Oh, and this guy? Just ignore him. Beat the gurus. Beat the trust fund kids. Beat the tech bros. Nice scooter, yo. Change the business. Change the industry. Change everything. And while you're at it, save the rhinos. Above all, and this is important, do. Because thinking big is still just thinking. You're listening to Vuga Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. We have started this journey with Belinda, and she has been sharing with us how she um, went into renal failure. We've had different misdiagnoses, just strange steps that took her down wrong paths, and basically ended up in the UK where she's had a, uh, well, was on dialysis for lots of years, but then finally had her first a kidney transplant, which changed her life radically, and then went on many years later to her second kidney transplant, which unfortunately didn't work. And doctors have really tried everything to be able to make it work. But she has returned to dialysis, which she said is a bit of a love-hate relationship. Yes, she's very grateful that she can have the treatment, but it does take things away from her, like time, relationships. Um, and also is not feeling so great after it. it. It takes time to recover. So it's not only the four hours, three times a week. It's the recovery time afterwards. But she has emphasized that it's very much about gratitude and being grateful. But we do need to understand as our listeners that life is not always just happy, happy, happy. And it would be silly to assume that every day is happy. There are different periods in her life where it's a bit of a downhill and it's about finding the energy to find the positives again. So yes, let's talk about organ donation now where you've said that, you know, obviously you're based in the UK, but there you're saying that um, kidneys that would match you may not necessarily be available. Yeah. So Let's let me give you some some figures, for example. It's it's a case of um you know the, the reality of kidney disease is the fact that yes, there is no cure for chronic kidney disease. One in ten people um with end-stage kidney failure have inherited um kidney disease. It's also the fact that one in ten people worldwide have kidney disease and people from Black or South Asian backgrounds are more likely to develop kidney failure. And um, 30% of patients with chronic kidney disease have a family member with kidney disease. And the employment rate for people on dialysis is just 26%. Now, there's no cure for, for kidney disease. Dialysis helps as much as it can. And so organ donation is the next best thing and this is why it matters in the african and african caribbean community so here in the uk a black person is likely to wait you know maybe between a year to three years longer than their white counter um, counterpart um so to say 
So in my case, my first transplant, um, you know, I was on dialysis for six years and I've been on dialysis now for five years. Fair to say I was I was only reactivated on the transplant list last year. So, you know, it's been a few months now since I've been waiting for my next transplant. Nevertheless, there are people who have probably been waiting much longer, maybe a year, two, three years or more. But within the Black British community, we tend to wait two, three times longer than um, people from the, uh, you know, white British community. And and also, we, I, I'm, I don't want to generalize. I'm speaking based on my, my lived experience, which is the fact that when I walk into my dialysis unit, I see more people who look like me than, you know, than anyone else. And so we have a tendency or a proclivity for a, um, for a higher representation across dialysis units in some parts of the UK. So in London, for example, you will definitely see a lot of Black people in the dialysis units. And in recent times, I'm beginning to see more and more young people living on dialysis. So when I first started dialysis as a 16-year-old, when, you know, when I would tell someone my age, it would be like, oh my gosh, you're so young. But now we are seeing more and more young people on dialysis. And it really breaks my heart every time a young Black person walks into my dialysis unit because I've been there and I know what it's like. And another thing I've noticed, um, I can't speak for men because I'm not a man. I I, I don't have that experience. Bring your own lived experience. (laughs) But but one thing I have noticed, um, when some of the men first walk into dialysis, into the dialysis unit, like they are new to the dialysis unit, they walk tall, their head is up and high. And then after six months to a year, their gait starts to drop. You can see the confidence just leaving them. You know, it's like it's practically just being sucked out of them. And sometimes when they speak, you you can hear it in the conversation that you're that you're having with them. And for for the women, you know, I'm I'm I've been blessed to be able to have conversations with some of the women at my dialysis unit. Um, it, it's 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 a different way that dialysis impacts you as a woman. You know, it's from your hormones raging one minute to you not knowing what you're feeling the next. Um, you know, and the fact that some of them are mothers, they still have to care for their families. They they still have to show up um, in in their in their responsibility as as a parent, and and it's a lot to be in that position and have to look after a child or watch your child watch you be in pain, you know, and and not really have a solution for that. In my case, I'm I'm not married. I don't have children. And sometimes I'm actually grateful that I don't have that extra responsibility. It's it's a catch-22 whereby, you know, we're human beings, we have different desires, but then there are certain things that come along that makes it um not so uh, makes it impossible to to achieve certain things. But you t- you roll with the punches, you, you take it um as it is. And so for me, the conversation Going back to the conversation about organ donation, it's necessary for my community to become comfortable with having an uncomfortable conversation. And I think a big part of why we are hesitant is fear. You know, it's also um, maybe some cultural belief 
that play into that or beliefs that play into that or, or religious beliefs as well. You know, um, I once sat with someone who, when I was talking about organ donation, said, oh, his religion does not allow it. And I remember asking him, so what's your religion? And he said, I'm a Christian. And he said, and he said the Bible does not talk about organ donation. So I said, well, I'm a Christian. I've had two transplants and I currently live on dialysis. And I would gladly take another transplant because of the fact that it will give me uh, a, a breathing space from, from being on dialysis. And I remember we had a conversation. And I think it's necessary that when opportunities for these conversations come up, not to beat people over the head because they are working with the information they have. And so we had a conversation and in that conversation, someone else joined in and he was saying, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It's about giving people something to think about. It's about saying, this is my challenge. This is how it works. And this is how living on dialysis affects me. But it's also necessary not to just make a proposition to people to say, come and give me your kidney. That's not what it is. It's about building community, making a case that we're helping each other. It's about you know, presenting our shared humanity, because it could be you tomorrow that find, you know, you find yourself in the same situation that, that I'm in, or your family member is in the same, in a similar situation. And so we have, we have to show up for each other. That's how we have to look at it. And it's not just in terms of kidney transplant, it's about everything else from, from donating blood to being open to um, bone marrow transplant, Plant, really help coming together to help ourselves as a community because remember we are in the minority in terms of the population so we we have higher rates of setting things in comparison to other um to the white british um community and so that's why for me especially as a journalist and as a storyteller it's necessary for me to share my story and to share the beauty of what organ donation can do when it works you know that's why I'm 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 insisting on stressing that having a transplant is not a cure it's a solution that helps you manage better than living on dialysis because things can still happen. But when it works, it is a beautiful experience as long as you are responsible with your care and your medication and taking care of yourself. Having a transplant does not mean you now go out and start drinking like you've never had anything to drink before. No, <laughs> you know, having a transplant does not mean you're not irresponsible. Yeah, you know, you not eat irresponsibly. No, you know, that there are still things you need to be mindful and careful of. You need to, you still need to keep an eye on your blood pressure. You still need to make sure you're exercising your bones and taking your vitamin D, but critically taking your immunosuppressants. That, like, that is a non-negotiable. So, not miss one, skip one, pull one. Yes, it has to be every single day. You, you, you have to be on top of it 24-7. And it, it also helps to know your body. You have to know what's normal for you because sometimes that's how you are able to tell that something has has changed or something isn't right. So, so the conversation about organ donation is not about beating people over the head to say, come, I need your kidney. No, 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 no. Also, people work from what they know. Exactly. And it's also about saying, well, come share as you share your lived experience of yeah. know what it's really like. Exactly. Um, to also influence people to say the difference that they could make. Exactly. So, so it's about 
um, you know, talking is uh, talking and having these conversations is about sensitizing us as a community and dispelling the myths and the fears, you know, like I've been in some WhatsApp groups that someone shared something. So let me give you an example. In the UK, during the pandemic, I think 2020, the law changed whereby before you had to opt opt in. You know, you had to register to be a kidney donor and everything. But now the law is such that you have to opt out. So it's a case of everybody's um, on there to, to be um, a possible donor but if you don't want to be you can opt out of the registry yeah, yeah you can opt yes. out you know and also if you opt in um be sure to share with your family because your family can still decide should in the event that anything happens to you and so I remember being in a whatsapp group where somebody put a message advising everyone in the group to go and opt out because you know the government is going, is going to start harvesting <laughs> our organs and things like that and rather than get worked up and say, this is a lie, I just, I used myself as an example to say, this is not the case. Basically what it is, is about giving more people um, a chance to, to participate in organ donation and help people out. But it is necessary to say, your, your organs will not be harvested without consent. And if your family was to object, then you know, that's a conversation to be had, but nobody is going to harvest your organ. Should they, say, for example, you're in an accident, you as the patient, your priority, your survival is priority. Keeping you alive is priority. It is after everything has been done and there's nothing else that can be done that organ donation comes into the conversation. But on, on the first, at that point of impact, at that point of critical care, you are priority. Keeping you alive is priority. So it's necessary to reassure people that it's not about just harvesting your organs and, you know, and giving your organs to, to other people because that then creates fear. It builds fear in people. And we need to address that. That's necessary. But it's also about people understanding that their wishes will be honored and respected if they decide to opt out and say, no, we don't want to do it because sometimes it is what it is. And, you know, there, there isn't much that you, you can do about it. But it's also about being able to talk to uh, members of the fam your family, le letting them know what your wishes are, that you want to be an organ donor, and then being able to honor and respect that in the aftermath. But um, being, you know, there are two kinds of organ donation. You can be a living donor and you can be a donor after death. In my case, both of my donors, they, they had passed on. You know, I've never had a living donor, but I know of people that have had a living donor. You can, um, so having this conversation about organ donation is also about encouraging people in the Black community that you can be, in the case of your kidneys, you have two. So you can be a living donor. And, you know, there have been instances where people have come forward to help um, other people out. And it's usually, you know, an interesting journey and a beautiful journey and experience for them. I've never heard of people who, who went on that journey and have regrets. And I pray that people will not have regrets. Though I've read stories <laughs> from, you know, um, in the news where someone donated a kidney and then they fell out. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a painful um, journey or should I say divorce or relationship breakdown. We don't want that. But the goal is to sensitize and, and make people aware so that they have something to think about. You know, I know, 
at least two, three people who have told me that because of my story, they um they didn't opt out when the UK became um everyone is you know is um is in and it's your choice to then opt out. So uh, so for me, even if it's just one person that decides not to opt out, I think my job is is done. But I but it's is really, really necessary for me to say the goal of having this conversation is not to beat people over the head to say you must become an organ donor. It is to say there is a problem and you are a potential um, solution to that problem. Can you kindly consider it and, and give it some, some thought? Hey, Belinda, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us too. I can see that you are a storyteller for sure. Um, and yes, um, we are all going to be thinking about you every day and knowing that there's going to be a speedy journey to your, your third transplant. It's just there around the corner. Thank you. And so we will keep you in our prayers. We will have you in our thoughts and send you healing energy. Thank you. And when you're sitting in dialysis, think about us (laughs) and Um, get you through it. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. I mean, I could go on and on, but I think you and I we both need a break at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yes, what you'll see is is we'll probably be having two shows. Um, okay. but yes, certainly it'll be part one and part two probably. But thank you so much, and we're wishing you all the best. And knowing that your journey is going to be blessed and that you are going to impact so many people who are going to opt in. That's my going to opt in. Certainly in South Africa, you've got to opt in. So I think also I will have a show absolutely just on organ donation. But yes, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You've been tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. Thank you for joining me. Remember that you are loved and that you matter and we'll see you next time.